Hi, this is Andrea Borsha. And I'm Charles Wilchin. This is Farsta. The Internet of Things podcast. On this special cross-cast episode of Far Stuff. It is Michael Wolf. He is the founder and chief analyst of Next Market Insights. He advises all kinds of startups and Fortune 500 companies. He's written for the New York Times, GigaOM, Forbes. He does all the research and manages all of Next Market's advisory services. Knows a ton about the Internet of Things, about smart homes, about 3D printing. And we talk about some of that on this show. Please enjoy. And you can check it out on his site as well with his smart home podcast. The great thing about IoT is like literally everything can be fit into it. Like literally, it's, if it's a thing it's and, a thing. and it's related <laughs> to the internet. I think we should talk about what is the internet of things and like, is it too big? Right. That was kind of one of our first challenges when we started the podcast is how do we define the internet of things? And and we try to come up with our own kind of clear definition Three C's to kind of make it very marketable and easy to remember. Probably more on the easy to remember side than the marketable. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to share that with him and see what he thinks? Yeah, definitely. So uh, our definition is something that computes, something that connects, and something that communicates. And we felt that that kind of covered the whole realm. It had to do those three things together. Because if it just connected but didn't compute and communicate effectively, then it was just a connector. Yeah. Like the connect is more about the fact that it must connect wirelessly. The wireless is just kind of a, a, yeah. a must have. The communicate is more that it is able to give some sort of intelligent information on things like status, talking to other devices, talking to cloud services. So it doesn't live by itself and and kind of in its own realm completely. It's right. some, it somehow needs to take information that it, it either gathers or computes or figures out and uh communicate that to something else to be considered part of this spectrum of the Internet of Things. And the compute's fairly obvious. So it's it's still a very large, <laughs> inclusive definition, but it lets us talk about robots, and that's good. Yeah, I like it. I like having three Cs. Um, and I could tell you guys are maybe marketers by profession. Although, a little I think bit of that. As, an, as an analyst, I probably should have a framework like that, but I don't. Well, you can you can steal ours and take credit for it. We don't care. I will. Let's go into a report. Excellent. No, but, I'll send it uh, to but you. Honestly, <laughs> but what, what, you know, I initially resisted like the internet of things because I felt like it was, you know, cause I, I've been following like industrial networking literally since the nineties. Yeah. Right? You're I like remember, M to M you're like totally all, up, to all over that. And I remember, I remember like, you know, there were vending machines that sold Coke that would have no ethernet put in, right. Um, in, in the nineties or, or maybe it was even a dial up modem for three com. And they would call back and say, Hey, we're, we're almost out of Coke. You need to replenish our inventory. And we, we, by the way, we've gathered $25 in coins today and that stuff was happening. Yeah. And that, it was happening on the, on the kind of the manufacturing floor. And, and, and so like, I felt like, okay, someone just came up with a catchy marketing name. Although if you look at the history and I don't know if you guys have talked about the history of the internet of thing lexicon, but I think that you know, someone coined that maybe around the turn of the century. Um, I don't know when exactly there's like some <laughs> the turn of the century. There's some, that sounds like, no, turn like of, yeah, I know. When I say turn of the century, you're not talking uh, the, yeah, ni- 1900s. the 1900s. It's like the 20th century. I think someone actually wrote a paper, right? Right around 1999, 2000. Right? Yeah. Like, I think it was related said to that. Yeah. RFID tags were kind of the origin of, of that as far as we know. Yeah. Now Cisco is kind of trying to re in, rename oh. it again. The internet. Of, I think every kind I, of I, major player is okay, trying to you're own just it. Give me go on a Cisco <laughs> rant. Can I go on a Cisco <laughs> rant? Yeah, I'd love like, to hear it. 
just stop putting out these giant numbers, Cisco, because you're you're kind of inflating expectations for everyone. And I get it. I get that you want to sell lots of whatever routers right. or whatever. But do you need to say it's worth the Internet of everything is to be worth a gazillion, 50 gazillion dollars? Like literally everyone <laughs> and everyone quotes their numbers like everyone quotes their numbers. Yeah. Is that their only product these days? Are these estimates? Yeah, there's how big numbers. markets like the, the year, the, the quarter over quarter decline in, in number shipments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We'd like to report it. We had an extremely strong quarter as far as shipping estimates for a business that we may be in. Yeah. And I have some inside, ba- I mean, a little inside baseball on in those. I mean, I remember them contacting me back like six, seven years ago when they're trying to put together their total internet estimates right because yeah. i was working at abi and they're trying to have, like put this together and then i talked to the gal put it together and she's like yeah we just kind of take big swings and kind of estimate and this isn't very scientific and they're just making making huge guesses by kind of glomming together a bunch of other forecasts yeah i don't think it's very scientific and then literally everyone uses their numbers like so i think like <laughs> everyone's basically building their estimates of the internet things on a on a basically a shaky foundation of cards that could yeah. collapse if, if we're building on top of Cisco numbers. But and, isn't that the like the point a little bit? Like I, I feel like so much of the general public thinks does doesn't quite understand the Internet of Things. They just the means it's my my fridge is gonna talk to me and my toaster's gonna know when my toast is done and and like just, Which sounds awful, frankly. I just, just like, it's just this excitement that everyone's, you know, going to be in one of those movies that showed the future where everyone wears silver and everything floats and everything's magically connected. And, and so Cisco just kind of adds fuel to that fire. People are just excited to like, oh, this is going to ma- magically take over absolutely everything. But I, I don't entirely think that they can define what that future actually looks like. Well, they can try, and it's it's worth, I guess, kind of owning the mind share and yeah. saying, well, you know, the Internet of Things is blah, 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 and it's this big, and also we call it the Internet of Everything because we can trademark that or something. But, yeah, if, if all these businesses are getting VC funding based on these Cisco numbers, and maybe the folks inside Cisco don't even know where they came from anymore, they're just like, oh, well, we, we figured out this number at some point. That's maybe, kind of a funny little... Maybe that's how the Smart Cup got funding. Oh my God. I talked to Vessel. Uh, listen, I, I everyone's skeptical on that. I actually think it makes sense. You sell I mean, it to me, <laughs> so, Mr. Wolf, because well, I am, so I am let's really assume, confused. Let's, by okay, it. let's assume it works, right? Yeah. So, can we make that assumption? Sure. If it doesn't work, then we're all, <clears throat> right. it's wrong, it's terrible. Right? Okay. So, right. Assuming they have sensors in there that can determine volume, A, there's one sensor that determines volume, there's another sensor that determines nutritional or, or kind of chemical makeup. Uh huh. Why isn't it valuable to know what chemicals are going in? Because you don't always read labels carefully. Um, you don't always, they don't always, companies don't always put what's in their stuff. And if you have like a d- disease, you have like some sort of allergy, why wouldn't you want to know what's in the drink you're drinking? Like, I think that makes a lot of sense. That's a totally legitimate use for that device. Absolutely. I agree. But you saw the Colbert report on the... I I think I saw the headline about the Hotel It's so report. good. It's it's it was something to the effect yeah. of and the vessel tells you, you know, it told me that I I drank this orange crush, which I happen to know because I just poured it in the cup. <laughs> you know? That kind of thing. Well, it's one of those things that seems so like, okay, this is dumb, but like when you think about like if you can really track all the chemicals you're putting in your body over like a long time and have a dashboard, like yeah. that, that that makes a lot of sense. And you're never you're not gonna see that on a comedy bit, but 
Yeah, no, it just no, for it sure. just didn't seem that that's actually what it did. Um, just from the little bit, I mean, it literally just showed that this is beer and this is soda, yeah. and yeah. I mean, it was just so rudimentary. Like the concept, I think, could be really useful on all food and drinks, and and I if they can somehow find the right algorithm and sensors to actually really assess the value of it i totally see it but what it is right now is you pour beer into a cup and it says you're drinking beer well i think it tells you what but it actually it it has signatures it connects to like the cloud through bluetooth Uh bluetooth to like a wi-fi gateway or whatever yeah and it knows actually probably through your smartphone to the cloud but it knows it what type of pop it is and so, and it's accessing a cloud database, obviously, because there's signatures on every drink, right? So this, yeah. you know, this mix is this drink, right? Yeah. Right. So it's going to say more of the beer. It'll say you're drinking Negro Modelo, you're drinking Olympia, and you drank this much over this much time. And so I think it's not just saying beer, it's actually saying the type of drink, which I think is helpful. I so like, it'd be great for a mixologist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it would be. I mean, I, I like to think that I would be as much for this idea as anyone having literally tracked everything I've eaten for the past, what, three or four years. But it just takes, you know, once you've kind of built up the foods that you normally enjoy, it takes so little time to record that, that I can't think of the exception case. Like, well, so if I normally drink this and I know what's in it, and I could get that information by scanning the barcode potentially on on the can or on the piece of paper and it was wrapped in or whatever, it's just hard to come up with what I would need back from that product to carry around a rechargeable cup. Well, it's funny because all the conversations that I've had about the the vessel all s- seem to center around women at bars, that women at bars <laughs> want to know what's in their drink. And I'm like, I'm yeah. pretty sure it doesn't have a roofie alarm. Well, so. no, it would, is what <laughs> would. Mike's saying. Crowdfunding time. Oh, oh no problem. Sorry. My iPad went oh. to sleep and I don't know why. Oh, that's weird. Uh, by the way, I have, a, I have uh, a recording of this. I'm recording on my side too. Oh, so. great. Excellent. I think we're in the face of the crowdfunding market, right? You know, crowdfunding, uh, smart home stuff and internet of things stuff. We're kind of reaching the end of that first wave because I think there's been so many epic failures that it's kind of ruined it for a lot of people. So I think people are becoming just more, much more skeptical going into these things. So I think it's going to be harder for people now to say, I'm going to crowdfund this cool new gadget. Well, well even Kickstarters seem to have been kind of shying away from the, uh, the actual physical product. I mean, they came out and were saying that Kickstarter should be used for artistic projects. And that was the initial focus. Cause I, I guess they got so much flack about people wanting their money back. And I don't know. I think if it was just marketed as a, you know, investors don't get their money back. Sometimes this, this is perfectly reasonable. All investors know this. If you're going to crowdfund, then, you know, you're, you're throwing in 25 bucks to see what happens. And if you're part of something cool, then you are. And if not, then not, but, I don't know. But that being said, with Google buying Nest and Apple's HomeKit coming out and Qualcomm and all these major players now getting significantly more involved in IoT and smart home stuff, I'm not sure if Kickstarter will still be a good place for that. You know, I mean, now you're no longer competing against other startups, you know, renegades out there. Now you're competing against the big fish that already have a plan in place. If you plug into their ecosystems, like I almost feel like there could be more opportunity, right? If you make a like a, a HomeKit compliant um, device mm-hmm. and like and you 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 make a really cool one, it gets crowdfunded, and then all of a sudden you're plugged into Apple's ecosystem or Nest ecosystem, that could be really interesting. And and HomeKit, by ex- for example, I also think 
is going to create a new, I, I kind of wrote this, I think I wrote this before because the home kit, as I understand it is, is something that other people could write apps for. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see a new lineup like home kit or, or smart home super apps. So if I'm like a third party app developer, I can write a smart home app and not even make a piece of hardware, but I can make the very best smart home app that connects everything. And it's built around HomeKit. I think we'll see some of that. I don't know if that's a crowdfunding material, but I think we're going to see some interesting innovation there. I love that idea. We were just talking about that, you know, in the, in the, also with uh, HealthKit, the fact that uh, folks like Nest, people like Fitbit are, are really um, being tepid about their plans, if not outright saying that we have no plans, you know, to support uh, HealthKit or HomeKit. Uh, Fitbit just got kind of kicked out of Apple stores. Maybe coincidentally, soon after they sort of announced that they had no plans for um, supporting HomeKit. HealthKit. Or HealthKit, integrating mm-hmm. with HealthKit. Yep. And um, we were just talking about how, you know, for the, for the leaders in this space who are kind of have made some progress with pr- completely proprietary uh, solutions that don't, you know, play well with others, there may be some resistance. But I agree with you. I'm, I'm ready yeah. for the little guys to come in and make this stuff work together because, boy, we have like a. Um, we have like a Logitech Harmony system and the hardware is great, but the software is awful. Anything that can let us control that with a better app, we will gladly pay for. Yeah. It'd be really exciting to see some more of the smart home stuff actually be much smarter uh, integrated. Well, you know, just much more clearly connected in a way that makes sense from like a user perspective, like a real life user experience uh, study with the Internet of Things because I kind of felt that a lot of the innovations that are coming out were singular ideas. Like this is one of the concerns I've got, and then they start growing from there. Yeah. Where it'd be interesting to see the whole thing kind of come together as a this is the entire home experience, and this is how we're going to put all these things together and connect. Mike, what do you yeah. use at home? Anything yet? Uh, I have a couple different point products. I have smart things as well. Mm-hmm. I, I use some Belkin Wemo. Um, I have a Kivo door lock. I've been actually trying out the simple cam by, uh, by ArcSoft, which using their closely software. I've just installed that this past week uh-huh. and I'm not trying to give anyone like endorsements. These are just what I'm kind of trying out. Sure. Right now. I've, you know, I skipped the whole drop cam thing, but I really like, and this is actually kind of creepy, but I like these net cams. I put one in our, our main living room, right? Uh-huh. And like, I'll run and uh, I'll run out, I'll, I'll grab, pick up my son from school when my uh-huh. daughter's home and, and you could actually speak into it. So I'll be sitting there waiting <laughs> and I'll go, or I'll run out and go, Sadie, I'm watching you. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's kind of She's like, what? But, uh, it's <laughs> what? actually, it's kind of fun. And it, it, uh, it has um, cloud recording service. So, and mm-hmm. it has face detection. So if like. I'll be sitting there and I've left and it'll say movement detected. It may be my dog, but if it says, you know, face detected, that's interesting because no one else should be home. Yeah. And then I could just go on the app that's and, and scary. it'll show me the little clip. So it's, it's pretty cool. Wow. That's neat. That's if, the beginning of a horror a movie. Creepy. See, I don't know. See, that's that, that was, that was my first reaction when, with all these cams and the yeah. nanny cams and the advanced internet. It's just like, it's so creepy. It's just going to be the death of privacy. And then, you know, all this, all this video going to clouds, eventually there's going to be celebrity home videos that are all leaked to Google. Oh my God. It's not even funny. Have, yeah. It's not funny, but 
It, you know, well, I mean, you can laugh, but it's very creepy. You can laugh, but you're also sitting there with a laptop with tape over the camera because it's actually I, funny I'm, and scary. Because and real. I'm convinced that it's, there, it's there totally is. hackable. It's there is completely hackable. No, there's there's tons of software whose sole purpose is to uh, hack and record sorority girls without their knowledge. It's terrible. There's so I, I the mean, worst at that people point, on earth. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be really excited when houses now have to be sold with like a dark room, like the black room, the one room where no technology can go in and there's no video uh-huh. camera. There's no nothing. It's like just, a Faraday cage yeah, around because it. Because the rest of the house is completely connected. There's sensors on the floors and everything knows exactly what you're doing and feeling and what's going on. Yeah. But I can get it as a parent. I mean, the 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 baby monitors have, have come such a long way in the last 20 years, even you can talk to your kids and see them. and Yeah, it's great. Know. It's really helpful. And, and boy, as a new parent, I, yeah, those are scary. Because you're, you're scared both ways. You're scared if you hear something and you're scared if you don't. <laughs> so having the video camera to kind of be a proof of life, that's handy. So do you use a video camera? Because I'm old enough to where when I was... I had my young newborns. I was just using those little kind of walkie-talkie monitoring devices, voice, voice. Yeah. But now, yeah. new 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 parents can use video. Ours are five, so five years ago, it there wasn't really anything. But if it had been available, I totally would have done that. Yeah, and my uh, I have a couple of friends that just had kids, and they are swearing by that video and the audio because now their kids get up in the middle of the night and they just talk to them from their bedroom. And calm them down, and the kid lays down and goes back to sleep. And she's like, "Yeah, I haven't had to get up with my kids once. I don't know what. I know she's she's so proud of herself." And I'm just, I'm like, "Wow, it's a whole new world." Just wait till there are robots that can simulate human touch and they're warm. Well, yeah. They, yeah. there's that seal we talked about in from I think Japan that it was like a comforting seal, and it's this little stuffed seal. <laughs> That reacts to your emotions and cuddles you and everything. Just put that with the kid when they're old enough to have something in their crib. Oh, and the kid will love the seal more than mommy. <laughs> Such a shame. Aww. The parenting robots. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Um, at home, I've been playing with Wink, sort of related to the, the topic of oh, home controllers. How do you and like that? I had, a, I had a great experience with them. When I first plugged it in, I had a switch that I was not able to get to work with a previous product, which I won't name because it was just awful. But, um, and I called support, which is like, oh God, this is going to be awful. And the guy couldn't have been nicer. Wow. And he waited on me while I did a firmware update and he made sure everything was cool. And I've since added a couple more uh, devices to control the lights in our living room. And it just worked perfectly. I've heard that from a couple people that their call support is like superb, but the problem is it seems like a lot of people have to call them because the wink yeah. out of the box experience is is not been great in terms of making things work instantly. Yeah, and that it, I, I feel like the, we've talked about this a few times. That has been one of the major concerns with adoption with Internet of Things, right? Is if you're starting to try and get these out to the general public who aren't necessarily the most tech savvy. Um, you know, you have to make it plug and play because the second you're asking for firmware updates, I could tell you my mom's going to go cross-eyed. Like she's yeah. not going to understand what that means and, and how that works. She just wants the, the light to go on when she moves her iPhone wherever she's supposed to, you know, it's just, she wants yeah, they, it to work. Yeah, they, they hide them from you, which I, I guess is good. But in this case, it turned out that they, their actual copy that they used in their little wizard was sort of misleading and I followed it too closely. Uh-oh. So I just had to ignore their instructions in the app. 
And I'm sure they're fixing all that stuff, but, um, so it would have been better with Ikea, like your mom might have had more and more success with it than <laughs> <Okay>. I did. <laughs> ah, you were too smart for it. That's the problem. But it's neat. You know, the fact that I can turn on and off my outside light from here and have my wife go, what is that? So um, there's kind of been a lot of discussion, speaking of the heart smart uh, home and all these other things about Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. I guess Qualcomm and Broadcom just came out um, swearing by Wi-Fi and Bluetooth as standards for the smart home well, and, and IoT. Mike, you just wrote an article on this, didn't you? On, on Bluetooth? I, yeah, I wrote an article on the Bluetooth smart home, partly because I talked to um, a guy named Radek Tadayevsky, which I'm butchering his name, He uh, last week for the smart home show. Oh, cool. And he, and he runs a, a company called Ort, uh, which is kind of hard to say, O-O-R-T. Mm. And uh, they do a completely Bluetooth-centric smart home system, which was interesting. And... So he, that was an interesting conversation. And then that followed, what followed that is like this week, we had two Bluetooth smart locks, or at least August announced their shipping. And then I knew that next week, Dana lock shipping, those are both Bluetooth smart locks. And then to top it all off, uh, Qualcomm is buying a Cambridge Silicon Radio. They announced that this week, which is a Bluetooth company. So right. it was kind of a crazy Bluetooth week. Do you so, know why Qualcomm bought them? I mean, Qualcomm presumably has so much RF experience. It's ridiculous. They just, you know, I I think that CSR Cambridge Silicon Radio is getting a lot of design wins, has a lot of momentum in Bluetooth, and in part due to they have this proprietary mesh networking technology for Bluetooth. Oh, and they're kind of the only one really shipping Bluetooth mesh right now. Which, really? Yeah. And next, you know, the I've been hearing that you know the, in the near future or maybe the kind of near future, the next iteration of Bluetooth will have mesh built in. And I really think Bluetooth, once you see Bluetooth mesh, that becomes really compelling for the smart home. Yeah. Oh my hmm. God. So that, that has the potential of changing everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Bluetooth, if we go back to the original idea of Bluetooth, it was really to kind of give old guys in airports, something to stick in their ear and walk through, <laughs> walk through the, the runway and talk loudly um, or walk down the, <laughs> uh, yeah. but you know, you know, it went from be, being this personal area ne- network technology for like headsets to becoming this interesting technology that does more. Um, now, the issue is Bluetooth doesn't necessarily reach beyond 30 feet in its kind of basic configuration, but it's got great power consumption in terms of low power. Mm-hmm. And once you add in this mesh capability, you have this technology that's pervasive. It's in every smartphone, and it, it has super low power draws. So you can put in things like locks. And, uh, and then if it's mesh, you can hopefully reach around the house because you have a bunch of different Bluetooth radios kind of building this interesting mesh network. Right. And that seems to be the, really the only differentiator that kind of Zigbee had up on Bluetooth is the ability to the mesh networking. Yeah. And Zigbee's had its own problems. I mean, that's why the, the guys over at Google or, or, or Nest decided to take their thread technology and make it like a, you know, try to make a standard out of, uh, 802.15.4 radios, but not Zigbee instead of thread. Um, oh, gotcha. Oh, so they're, so Zigbee is technically the name of the protocol that runs over the wireless RF standard. And they're just going to rip that out and replace that with thread. Yeah. So I hope we're, hope we're not getting too kind of nerdy on, on, oh, your show, uh, but no, it's fine. But, uh, thread was this new kind of, uh, protocol, that was going to run over these, the standard radio called 802.15.4. It's a standard out of the IEEE. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the, what normally runs over those radios is 
is Zigbee or Six Lopan. Um, and the th- the guys with a thread say, hey, we're going to just start over. Zigbee's a mess. We're going to do this new standard, because we, but we like 802.15.4, but we're going to do thread instead. And they probably printed T-shirts that said, we're going to do thread instead. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Every project needs a T-shirt if you're in Silicon Valley. Well, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm kind of glad they are. I mean, I... It's one of those weird things where um, yeah, the Zigbee stuff I've, I've had and experimented with has all worked terribly. And it's so difficult to understand where the weaknesses are, whether it's the, you know, the protocol level or just the terrible applications that are like the cause of all the problems. But uh, I just want the thing to work. I don't, I don't really care about plumbing, I guess, like the average person. I mean, it's interesting. And, and it seems like the, the company that you talked to or – uh, was is doing pretty well with the transitionary, right? And there's a couple other companies. There was like Zuli that all about the connected outlets, taking things that are traditionally not IoT and start of kind of getting us more comfortable with what an IoT world could look like. Yeah, Zuli, they make those blue, they did pretty well with the Bluetooth smart plug, right? Yeah, yeah. In terms of Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. Does, if you compare something like Zuli, which I think is more akin to like a Belkin Wemo, like mm. these kind yeah. of plugs. And what was the, the, the ord is almost like this. We have everything. It's like we have your entire smart home in a box. Right. Whereas, so, but yeah, I th- well, they're both could be interesting to watch because I think the idea of the Bluetooth smart home is going to be something to watch in the next few years um, if they can make it work. We'll see. Yeah, because if they can kind of do it Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, depending on whether the thing has a constant power source or not. That seems yeah, like the that's, way to go. Yeah, Belkin, that's Belkin's philosophy. Like, really? why would we do Z-Wave? Why would we do Zigbee or something different? Yeah. You know, we we ship a gazillion Wi-Fi routers. We're right. going to make the smart home build around Wi-Fi. And so Wemo is pretty much Wi-Fi centric. Mm. That makes make, a lot of sense. Well, it makes sense for their business model, which is what everybody's doing, right? <laughs> it's just... Some yeah, way to create yeah. their connection into it with their business model. It's, it, I feel like we're in the v- VHS Betamax battle all over again. Yeah, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that things like HomeKit make that irrelevant and can bridge that world. I mean, I don't care whether device is using protocol X, Y, or Z. Well, HomeKit would just be. I mean, they'd still need to have the connection network at home, wouldn't they? There would be, but but you're kind of abstracted from all that. In other words, in theory, I think, and Mike, correct me if, if you know otherwise, but I think the theory is that I can build an app that controls HomeKit devices, and those protocols are effectively pluggable. So if I make a router that speaks, you know, protocols X and Y, and or I have something else that speaks Bluetooth, I don't care whether that particular device um, speaks any of those. I can potentially control them as a group. And so I can say, you know what? Um, I'm going to hit this button and I'm going to be, we're watching movies and watching movies is going to control these lights and the TV and it's going to set up the receiver. And I don't care if some of those are on Wi-Fi. Maybe the receiver speaks Wi-Fi. Maybe the lights speak Zigbee. Uh, Maybe those are actually uh, Zigbee enabled light bulbs, you know, in the kitchen that need to be turned down. But uh, that scenario is going to set the scene for all those things, regardless of what they happen to be using. And how yeah, does, I, th- I think that um, these software standards, like kind of these intermediary, or these standards like um, All Seen, All Join, and HomeKit are trying to become glue, kind of software glue to enable all these things to instantly, rec- instantly recognize each other and not do like a lot of configuration. So I applaud all that. I still think 
the reason why there's these all these hub startups is you still need a, like a box of radios. Right. Yes. <laughs> like, there's like the people are selling boxes of radios because <laughs> if you have a Zigbee, That's such a funny way to put it. I love. If that. you have a Zigbee light bulb, you can't get on the network unless you're talking to another Zigbee radio. Right. And so none of us have have Zigbee radios in our routers. So until that happens, until like you know Belkin decides to build in. Z-Wave or Zigbee into that router, you're going to need that box of radios. Yeah. And I wonder, what do you guys think about how that affects the the things talking to each other rather than directly to us? Like two things on your home network talking to each other, making decisions, changing things accordingly um, with no actual need to connect out to a cloud or to to a hub somewhere to connect, communicate back with us. The rise of the robots, right? <laughs> I mean, that, seems, that seems to be the goal of, of things like all join is is they're they're really trying to take the intelligence out of the cloud or the need the need to use the cloud at least, right? And they seem to really be focused yeah. on a mesh centric network where things can communicate directly to other things, which seems like a fine goal, but <laughs> you know, but I don't know. I'm not sure if it influences it whether or not Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, or something else entirely wins out, right? It's, it's whatever's easiest on the devices themselves to, to communicate what they need to communicate and to be able to have the battery life to, to do it in a way that's that'll That's the problem, last, yeah. Right? These, these devices really can't, you know, a hub can have a, a box, it can be a box full of radios, as Mike <laughs> said, but a device can't really be a box full of radios. They really have to place their bet. Right. Yeah. You know, there's, there's someone asked me today, like, why do you need a cloud connection if you're doing a smart home network like because isn't everything happening like on the local level like you're you're talking from one device to the other and i think the reason is like i mean let's make this clear you you want like the ability to have your smart home run if like your internet connection is mm-hmm. down so like everything doesn't fail because you're not connected to the internet but at the same time i think you like create interesting potential new user scenarios if you have like cloud right so if you have like uh, the ability to um send instructions to from your smartphone when you're remote um and then connect to your smart home like to to start your you know start cooking something right or the fact that i'm using a, a, a like a the simply cam that sends me video all that's being archived somewhere in the cloud this mm-hmm. video and if i want to see clips if there's been like um an event someone's in my house and I know there shouldn't be someone in my house. That's all going to be recorded in the cloud. So I think there's like just things you services that are enabled that are interesting and like make like a richer user experience with the cloud connection. But companies like Belkin are making sure that like their smart home devices work. If your internet connection is down, I think that's kind of like that's almost a requirement. No, absolutely. That's absolutely correct. All I'm thinking though, is how much data are we collecting to (laughs) When every time an incident happens in the house, every time the dog <laughs> yeah, <laughs> moves by yeah. the cameras, <laughs> insane amounts of personal data about uh, we absolutely everybody. Yeah, we haven't seen anything yet. That is going to be the challenge. And it's, how to turn that into something useful. It's, I'm glad Belkin's focused on making their devices useful without the cloud because, as we saw last week, their routers weren't <laughs> stopped working without the cloud. They had some cloud service go down and, and all their routers just stopped working. So that was... Super unfortunate and proves, I guess, the point that you want things to be able to support sort of an occasionally connected scenario. It is funny, though. uh, 
as you were saying that, it kind of reminded me of this video I saw, uh, I think on Vimeo. It was like one of those short movies that people do. Mm-hmm. And it was the future with a smart connected home. Everything showed up where it was supposed to and everything was good. And then he goes to try and leave his apartment because he has, you know, his house is informing him he's, you know, should leave now for his appointment. And the door's locked and he can't get out because <laughs> the whole system needs to be reset. And so his lights go off and the air conditioning stops and the the woman just won't stop talking to him and telling him that, he, you know, well, you're going to be late. You, you really need to leave the apartment. You're five minutes late if you leave the apartment right now. And he's like, I'm trying. And he's calling tech support <laughs> and they're sending him through five layers of tech support. And they're like, well, we need the, the code from your password and your mother's maiden name and all these random things. Just the whole thing was just hilarious. And of course, it ends up with he's just permanently locked in his apartment. The lights are off. <laughs> but luckily, Amazon is delivering food. Yes. Yes. Uh, it was just the drone. The drone will fly through the window. And like, yeah, exactly. The drone door. Every house will have its own drone door. Yeah. What are you guys opinions on on smart locks? Because it's funny. I saw Dan Benjamin tweeted uh, a five by five it tweeted like one place I don't want a computer is on my front door lock. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen a lot of this skepticism around smart locks. And I'm always thinking, you know what, if some dude's going to break into your house, there's a much better chance. He's going to break that little back window in the back yeah. of your house or, or, or whatever, or get through the, the sliding glass door then hack your, hack your lock. Right. Exactly. I mean, I feel like that's the last thing like a, a burglar is going to do. And maybe there's going to be some guys. I mean, but I just feel like I'm not, do you guys worry about that if you had a smart lock or as Dan will put it, a computer on your front door? <laughs> I don't, I mean, there's, there's a level of convenience that I think is what they're trying to sell is that your, your door just knows, just like your car, like your car knows you're coming because you have that key in your pocket and then you just instantly enter and it, it somehow feels more special that your house knows it's you and it, it unlocks for you. But um, Once again, Star Trek is what you want. Yes, I, I just want everything to know me, but yeah. with I, but I still want to keep my privacy and I want it to be secure. Oh, <laughs> and, and you're clearly, in trouble. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm screwed for my generation. It's okay. <laughs> Maybe after me. Um, I don't know. I, I think there is a bit of a concern with the security. That last week I, I heard something interesting uh, that ATMs that are on Windows XP are basically perfectly easily hackable right now. That hackers are going up because window XP isn't supported anymore and they can get the ATM to just empty it itself of all its cash and they can just walk away. So it, it, all I'm thinking is as long as my locks not on windows XP, we're okay. <laughs> I feel like the banks deserve it. If they're still running something on windows XP, they deserve to have all their cash. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, they have. Yeah. Apparently that hack is, they can do it without being detected. And yep. then some, there's some point at which they can go every day and, and take out, some as much amount of money that right. won't be flagged uh, how, and, and that works. Yeah. I don't, I don't so I, I guess that's until <clears throat> those types of things stop happening or you hear less of them, I think connecting certain things like a heart monitor and your door front door lock, uh, I think just will always raise concerns because people think, well, if this hacker just easily got into this, what else are they going to hack into? And, for me, there's a benefit too, security-wise, in the sense that I can lock my door from anywhere, and I can uh, give kind of conditional access to people. So if I were expecting a package, maybe, and I wanted them to throw it inside, uh, it's there's a potential that I could actually allow access to someone based on, say, a camera yep. built into the door, or I can, you know, kind of set it so the lock uh, shuts the and and 
deadbolts the door at 11 p.m. every night. Whereas, you know, I we often forget to lock the door just because it's, you know, you're in bed and you're like, oh, so snugly. Can't get up. <laughs> so for me, there's a security benefit, too, that I think far outweighs. Like you said, it's, yeah. it's going to be the hardest way to break into a house. Well, and I'm not even sure that. It, there's that much drive. You're right. You know, if you're going to break into a house, you're going to break into the one that's easy. The one that, you know, doesn't have in, in a smart door lock. I don't think is going to make much of a difference when it comes to it. Probably. Yeah. I'm a fan. I, we have the most simple, basic mechanical problem that prevents us from getting a, a smart lock, which is that our doors don't perfectly align. <laughs> oh yeah. And so I, you always have to kind of jiggle the door to shut the the deadbolt. And so I've been doing all this research into tapered deadbolts. <laughs> what what device can I buy that will have a tapered deadbolt that will somehow have enough, uh, you know, enough uh, power to shut this wooden door? I don't know. It's 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 odd. So well, I, I'm wondering I how just, reliable they are. I don't know. Respect. I've been using a, a Kivo for about three months, and uh-huh. that's the Bluetooth smartwatch from Quickset. And it's pretty good. What I, I mean, my biggest complaint is they don't have an Android app yet, and uh-huh. so I I've, I've been using a key fob, which is kind of a little kind of like Bluetooth key that you stick uh-huh. on your, your on your key ring. And my son took it off and lost it. So oh I'm no! Like, like I'm back to using a physical key while my wife, who doesn't really want technology in our front door, just because it annoys her, uh-huh. um, is the only one who can really use it at this point. And uh, it's funny because if like my son's iPhone, my son loves technology and his iPhone, he downloaded the Kibo app. And if it's, it's close enough um, to the door, it's like the, sometimes the, the Kibo lock would just kind of go in this weird thing where it closes, opens, closes. So it's like, I feel like there's maybe still a little fine tuning that needs to be done uh-huh. on these things to make them <laughs> like, like operating perfectly. But it's, it, it is convenient that you walk up and literally just touch your finger on it and it'll, it can open, which is kind of cool. That is yeah. super cool. I mean, we we weren't people who locked our door, and then we were like, we had a very innocent home invasion like a couple weeks ago by someone who was just confused and super high. And so now it's like, hmm, maybe that's a good idea. You know, even though we lived on this very dark and foreboding cul-de-sac. To be able to lock the door from the bedroom. Well, or from anywhere, or yeah, or just to kind of have it locked for for us automatically at some given time at night. And if that can't happen for some reason to alert me, that's probably worth the peace of mind. Well, that and and I think the hectic lifestyle and running out of the house and being two miles down the road and oh, I forgot to lock the front door and be able to do that from your phone. I think that definitely has value. Yeah. And and if something ever happens where they hack the door lock, you've then got the cameras to notify you that yeah. there's a new face in your house. So yes. So all in all, you you need it all is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, you need every piece. And then your home is more secure than Fort Knox. Right. Then your home is yes. Your home is basically a giant robot. Everyone's waiting for HomeKit, and uh, I know you're way way more plugged into that than than we are. What is the industry reception to HomeKit? Because as someone who's following it as an enthusiast, but not necessarily someone who's tracking the companies who are making HomeKit de- compatible devices, I'm not seeing a ton of what seems like momentum. There was the August announcement, yeah, but that's I about all Apple, I can point to. Apple is so holds everything so close to the vest that unfortunately with like HomeKit, I think they announced it in June. And I don't think they did a lot of meetings with partner. I mean, there were some partners announced, but I don't think there's a ton of early work done. So I think like they're just working on their product now, heads down. Um, I I think that they may have to announce something before CES in terms of like, okay, here's where we are. Someone, I, I kind of tweeted a while yesterday saying I was bemoaning the fact that, 
they didn't announce a new Apple TV. And, you know, we, there'd been all the speculation about Apple TV being right. this one hub. And, and I was a little bit, a little bit disappointed there wasn't a new one, but someone said, Hey, well, they'll probably just have an Apple TV HomeKit event. Like in early 2015, I said, 2015, I said, well, that's great. But CES is kind of a big deal. And if they have this partner ecosystem, they're trying to water and feed. They probably need to do something before then. Um, and right. I don't know if that's like announced something around the status of HomeKit. Who knows? But I feel like they're going to do something before the year's out. I was really surprised that there wasn't a push to get kind of the ecosystem established by the kind of Christmas season this year. I guess that's they're probably just aggressive. not ready. Yeah, I mean they're they're probably just not. I mean they they announced so much and they're trying to push so hard on all the other things. And I think they really want a win after the you know this is the first real push after Steve Jobs and they, they they're looking for the easy wins. And I think HomeKit just doesn't have the the glory that Apple pay and the new iPhone six do. Mike and is the watch. Yeah. And the watch. And the watch. I mean, the watch is, is sexy. They've been hyping that for years. I mean, no, every, they have not. Well, that's true. That's true. Everyone. <laughs> we've been, we've, all, we've been <laughs> hyping it exactly. for them. Like, Nice little <laughs> slaves to Apple that we Aww, all are. She's not. She's not as big an Apple fan I'm, as I am. Uh, you know. Hey, Mike, has Ness said anything about HomeKit, positive or negative? No, I, I think I think that um, they're just probably watching. I mean, they're kind of like the arch enemies, right? I mean, Nest is now Google, and and HomeKit is Apple, and never the twain shall meet. I mean, I think like they're kind of like those two are going to be. We're going to see an epic battle. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. Yes, thank yeah. you so much. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us as we hung out with Mike Wolf. Yeah, you've been listening to Far Stuff, the Internet of Things crosscast. You can find us on the internet at farstuff.com and at farstuff on Twitter. Get in touch with us using the contact form at farstuff.com or email us at podcast at farstuff.com. And this brings us to the end of our thing. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. You remember, like, it was always cool when you'd watch, like, like Happy Days, and then you'd see Mork Mork come on. Like, it's like this crossover show. Oh, like, absolutely. I actually think Mork actually came from yeah, Happy it was Days. Yeah, like, spinoff. Wikipedia did, like, it was a spinoff. Kind of like Laverne wow. Shirley was a spinoff, too, from Happy Days. Which Maybe I know way too much about the Happy Days universe. Hey there. Hey. hey.